Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Between the Lines. On this podcast, you will hear about and from lesser-known Canadian authors and writers who, for whatever reason, have remained under the radar of traditional publishers and publishing houses. You will also hear from editors, literary agents, and publishers in the hopes of giving us all a better understanding of how it all works together. If it has something to do with writing or the writing process, you are going to hear a discussion about it here. I'm your host, Randy Lacey. I'm encouraging you to grab your bevy of choice, get comfy, and get ready to go between the lines. People come into writing in several different ways. For some, it was a teacher at school handing out a writing assignment, while for others, it may have been by reading and wondering if they might be able to write. Every writer has started their writing journey on a different path. Each writer's journey will be different, yet similar. But one thing all writers have in common is a different destination. Hello and welcome to another episode of Between the Lines. On today's show, I will be speaking with author Diane Shore about what makes her tick as a writer and maybe a little more. Hello, Diane, and welcome to Between the Lines. Hi, Randy, and thank you so much for the opportunity to participate in your podcast. Good afternoon from beautiful Belleville. Ontario, home of the Belleville Senators. Go Sens! So this is where I turn the mic over to you, Diane, for for a, a couple of minutes so you can give the listeners a brief bio on who Diane Shore is. Better from you than from me. Okay, sure. How? Oh, let's see. I live here with my husband um, with two rescue cats who are spoiled rotten. I retired from Ontario Hydro. I was one of the first female nuclear operators in the industry. I worked at Pickering. I have three very interesting children I love to talk about who uh, are very took very, very different life paths. Our oldest son lives in Dusseldorf, Germany. Our second son lives on a reservation outside of Sturgeon Falls. And our daughter lives in Bonneville. When not working uh, in this makeshift office, and it's too bad you can't see it, but it's half bedroom, half office. Is that a blind uh, joke? <laughs> yes, it is. I'm sorry. It is. Don't be sorry. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we have a huge flower a backyard with flower beds, but I have a passion other than writing, and that's for fairy lights. Our whole backyard has string after string of lights. We look like a landing strip for the uh, Air Force. <laughs> the only other thing I would like to mention is that during the pandemic, I wanted to do something. So I sent emails out to a group of I was friends, relatives, acquaintances, anybody that I knew. Every morning at 530 in the morning, I sent a joke of the day. And I did that through the entire pandemic. Good for you. Well, that describes me. And thank you for that description. That, that's a really wonderful thought, though, sending a joke just to bring a smile, right? Exactly. And uh, no, that's that's a beautiful thing. We'll uh, we'll move into part one, which I call question period, because if I didn't ask you any questions, it would be kind of a pointless show. (laughs) So let's, let's get going. What do you fear most as a writer? What do I fear most? I think it's rejection. 
a rejection from people who will read my novel and wait and look at it and go, what in the world is this woman trying to do? She thinks she's an author. I fear that I'm not as good as the other writers. I, I look at people, I look at other writers and think, wow, I wish I could write as good as them. And then I fear that maybe the reader doesn't get my stories or they they didn't. I want them to be able to say, oh, my goodness, I didn't see that one coming. And I want them to have that sadness at the end of my novel. You know, that sadness at the end of a book or a movie or a show and it's over and you kind of sit there and go, oh, I wish there was more. Mm. That's what I want. This just popped into my head and might mean nothing. It might mean everything. But I really don't think anybody can write the story you write better than the way you write it. Wow. That is that is a point. Yeah. Good point. It's interesting you say that. Why? Because, you know, you people often say to me, where did you get that idea from? Or where did that come from? And it comes from those characters uh, banging around in my head. Yep, that are in nobody else's head. So who better to tell their story than you because they're in your head? True, true. So I personally don't worry about rejection because, as you said, they might not just get it. And that's them, not you. True. Being a woman, you know, we always want to try to please everybody. And I uh, I find that interesting. But that is a very good point you've made. See, there is a reason for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Would you prefer to... Would you prefer to have a reader, friend, family member, or a stranger tell you the absolute truth about your writing or have them lie to protect you or to protect your ego for that matter, or what have you? Interesting. You know, um, I prefer people tell me. I love constructive criticism. I don't always respond when someone tells me something. I kind of wrap it up in a little package and take it home with me and then mull it over and look at things. But I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky that I have some very good friends, family. Uh, My beta readers are so good at uh, uh, giving me constructive criticism. They're so good at finding little things. But as a sidebar... It, it's it's great when they find something that I have overlooked maybe a hundred times and just so happy that they come up with it. Now, my husband, Bob, does a lot of editing for me. Hi, Bob. Now, that's a little different. That's a little different. <laughs> and uh, we have some major discussions about the editing and about our versions of each one. But I don't I don't wrap that one up and take it home. We we have it. We have strong heated discussions. There's nothing wrong with a good, strong, heated discussion, though, especially when, <laughs> you know, you, you're writing something and, and because of his connectedness to you, uh, he might understand what you're trying to say a little bit better and be able to provide you an alternate idea. Now, wait a minute. Whose side are you on? I'm on my side. <laughs> <laughs> so... Going back to the question, though, do you agree with the following statement? Negative critique can be positive. Negative critique can be positive, depending upon what you take out of it. Or how Um, it's given to you. Pardon? Or how it's given to you. And how it's given. Oh, yeah. If it's spiteful or, yeah. But, you know, I think with negative comments, negative uh, critique, 
there is a positive to take out of that somewhere. You just got to find it. I find too many people, especially on, on, you know, the internet or the Facebook writing groups, uh, they'll post uh, something and no negative comments. Well, why wouldn't you want negative comments? That's how you improve. Because all of a sudden you see a side that you hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Or you see something new that you haven't seen before. Yeah. I uh, When I write and when I publish my books or whatever, when I write, I don't really care if people like it or not. That's not what I'm after. That's just an opinion. What I'm after is if what I've written has moved you to think, to uh, change your mind or cause you to feel something. Uh, and again, like or dislike means nothing. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you 100%. I, I, want, I want people excited and can't wait to read my next book because there's so much that we put into our work that people don't realize. We, we Hours and hours and hours of editing and whatnot. Uh, number three, <laughs> who started you on your writing journey? If they were listening to this podcast, what would you like to say to them? Well, I'd like to answer that in two parts. Um, oh, no, you can only do it in one. Oh, okay. All no, right, go I'll... ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Part one, I grew up in a home of readers. And I'm not joking. The library was our second home. If you were to show up at our home on a Sunday, you would find my dad in the living room with a Pierre Burton book on his lap reading you find my mom in the bedroom with a, a romantic novel. And I was locked away in my bedroom with Anthony Christie. Mm. I, had a, I have a much younger brother who always had a book tucked under his arm. Dad always said if he didn't have anything to read, that he'd read the back of cereal boxes just for something to read. And up to the day he died, he read uh, one of the local newspapers from cover to cover. So in honor of my parents who instilled such a love for reading, every novel that I've written, mom and dad have a cameo appearance in the book. And it just gives me a bit of a reach out and touch of them because they both have passed and I can't be able to say anything to them physically, but at least they're in the book. Now, part two when I wanted to write, I, I was greener than green. I had no idea how to do it or whatever. And I met a wonderful person named Rose Kerr, who is author of uh, Death on the Set. And it's been incredibly successful. She has been my mentor, advisor, friend, strong supporter. And she's just taken me on such a wonderful journey through this. And what I would say to Rose is, Thank you, Rose, for your time and patience. At the beginning, I was like an energetic puppy in obedience school, just bouncing all over the place. That's it. I understand that. So your parents make cameo appearance in what you write as themselves, or do you disguise them? As themselves. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's just, it's fun to put them in there, you know, because then you think, okay, where am I going to insert them? (laughs) And I mean, it's just little, little spot and uh, the family all look for it now. They, okay, where's granny and grandpa? Oh, wonderful. That is, that is ingenious. I love it. Thank you. What is the hardest thing you ever had to or tried to write? Well, that would be when I worked for Ontario Hydro. I had to 
write and deliver training courses on sexual harassment in the workplace. Now, many of my students didn't believe sexual harassment existed. Now, what year was this? This was, I was just about to say, a very, very long time ago when women were moving into non-traditional jobs. And it was scary. It was exciting, scary for both the women and for the men. And so I would write a script and have what I call the good old boys play Mm -hmm. female roles. And it was interesting just watching their faces react as they were playing on the other side. In fact, that reminds me of uh, one time I was doing a a class up in Northern Ontario. And um, I went into the classroom and one of the so-called good old boys stood up and he shouted from the back. The last person who came up here from Toronto to do sexual harassment courses left in an hour. Let's see how long you last. Well, Randy, guess what? Challenge accepted. (laughs) it was they took me out for supper that night and it was a great meal good for you (laughs) so you were a trailblazer back then oh yeah back then there was like uh, two women and 400 men in the plant Mm -hmm. good for you that's that's all you women who are listening right now follow in her steps show the men what it's all about This is not a paid advertisement. (laughs) (laughs) How much of yourself would you say goes into something you write or you've written? I would say a hundred percent. It's not, it's part of me. Um, It's my, and you must, I I suspect you might feel the same way. It's your baby. You've nourished it. You raised it. And then when it's time to release it, it's like sending a child off to university. It, I find I have a lot of sadness after I've completed a book and about to release it. I'm a, one of these people who absolutely love talking to people and people tell me stories. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where, whether I'm in a line for groceries or anywhere. And I love hearing these stories because quite often there's something in that story I can use in my book. And when you can use reality in a fiction, it becomes even better. Reality is something people can identify with. Exactly, exactly. Randy, let me tell you a funny story. I was at a stoplight the other day, and a guy in a big pickup truck was beside me. He ends up rolling his window down a bit, tells me that the four dogs that are in the truck are all rescue dogs from a kill center. And that he was on his way to get number five. And we sat through the green light and red light to the next, uh, the next green telling me this story about these dogs. And it was just amazing. I just loved it. Much to the chagrin of the line of traffic behind you. (laughs) Nobody peeped. Nobody said a word. They just sat there. Really? Yeah. It must be a Belleville thing. It must be a Belleville thing, but it's one of those things that happens in life where you sit back afterwards and think, wow, that was a moment. That was an interesting moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All my life, I've been a people watcher, an observer of people, whether it's in a shopping mall or driving or whatever. Kind of hard now as visually impaired to be a, uh, you know, to be a people watcher, but that doesn't prevent me from sitting and listening. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people talk and they don't know who's listening 
or, you know, because they talk and, and they're in proximity to somebody, their voices carry and you, you can pick up all kinds of interesting things for poems, uh, stories, short stories, whatever lyrics. Yeah. It's, I love people watching and listening. Me too. Me too. Very inspirational. I think. Oh, it is. It is. And just things that you learn in the family. Like my mother was uh, a bomb girl during the second world war. And she actually at the age of 15, left a blueberry blueberry farm in Nova Scotia and traveled to Thunder Bay to work in the aircraft factory. And she told me story after story of what life was like uh, during that time period. And a lot of what she told went into one of my books, but there were things that she told me that will never go in the book. Hint, hint. <laughs> so uh, I mean, we've discussed our age uh, uh, difference. Uh, mm-hmm. And this little piece of knowledge that I have might be, uh, you know, how did you know that? But your little story reminds me about Rosie the Riveter. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I do my homework on things. Things that I like, I will research. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) All right. Question number six. What is going on around you when you sit down to write? Is there music playing? Is there a dog or a cat nearby? Uh, is there a Newton's cradle cradling? Well, Randy, our smallest bedroom has been converted into a makeshift office. Actually, the bed's still here. <laughs> um, I write best in early morning, but um, I don't get distracted by my surroundings, noise, people, things can be going on and I never hear or see anything. I do have our two rescue cats, Coco and George. They sleep on the desk, which means there's absolutely no room whatsoever for paperwork. And then every now and then, Coco thinks he should lay on the keyboard. Problem is, his typing's really bad. (laughs) So no music, just cats? No, just cats. Uh, If music's playing, that's fine. But I think a lot of it, I get locked into my own little world with my characters. And I don't hear or see anything else outside outside the room. What is your writing goal? Um, My writing goal is to write as long as I'm physically able. And... I'd like to share with you, a year ago this week, I actually had a stroke and was in hospital for uh, about four days. I worried that I'm not going to be able to write uh, and actually the brain would be, whether it would on scrabble because it was quite an experience, but I've recovered and in fact, writing like crazy. I want to complete a series, and I I won't go into that right now, but I'm hoping to keep people guessing uh, with each and every one of my novels that the very end, they say, wait a minute, I didn't see that one coming. And the last thing is, I would love, I love hearing my granddaughter, I only have one granddaughter, and I love hearing her voice when she talks about her grandma, that's uh, an author. In fact, the little munchkin went to school the other day and convinced one of her teachers to get on Amazon and buy my book. She's a great promoter. <laughs> you know, nine-year-old promoter. She's really good. <laughs> Our, we have a, where I live is a small town and we have one school from K to 12. And I've been here almost 15 years. And the grade four teacher, uh, I published my first book in 2013 and to support me, obviously, she bought the book. 
but she reads it to her grade four class every year. Wow. Now that must be just must get your heart just going. Well, it does. But the, and then she explained why, because she does it because she wants to give the children uh, the understanding that though we live in a small town, if you follow your dreams, they can become reality. True. And True. I, I really love her messaging. And uh, so, you know, it's like, okay, hi, Lisa Cheshire. Thank you so much for that. And the children one day are going to look back and go, hey, thank you. Perfect. Perfect. And, and I can I just add one final thing? Well, um, all right. Oh, thank to. you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a very strong believer in Canadian content. So when I do write, I want my novels to be situated in Canada with places and towns and cities and people that we know. It's not that I don't like American novels, but I sure love hearing things about Winnipeg and Vancouver and Toronto. It just, I want to be able to continue doing that until I'm physically unable to. Well, maybe not so much Toronto, but the rest of Canada. Oh, hey, come on. (laughs) Okay, the Maple Leafs then. (laughs) They will get the cup one year. I just hope I'm going to be here long enough to see it. Oh, don't hold your breath. (laughs) No, I'm just teasing, of course. I know, and I'm loving it. (laughs) I I love to beat up on Toronto, especially my my half-brother was a, a major Toronto Maple Leaf fan, and and I used to love to pick on him. But anyway, so Diane, you've had seven questions. And there is the mysterious eight question that I never give my guests. Oh, okay. Surprise. All so, right. Listen carefully. And here it comes. Are you ready? Yep. If I showed up on your doorstep in my time machine and yelled, hey, Diane, get in. When or where would you like to go to? And why? Oh, when and where? You're welcome. I'd like to go back probably to the 1960s and back to a certain concert <gasps> that was held in an open field down in the United States. And it's awful. I'm, I'm struggling here trying to think of the name of it. Would that have been Woodstock? Thank you very much. You're very welcome. It it was the stroke. I forget things. That's all right. (laughs) I would love to attend at Woodstock. I don't know why, but I think it was just that was the beginnings of so many wonderful musical groups. And I would love to have seen them there. I think that is an understatement. But there were several festivals before Woodstock and certainly some after Woodstock that were probably equally as as. entertaining and influential such as the monterey pop festival the isle of whites uh there was all kinds i mean some of the big groups of that came afterwards were saying you know woodstock is just going to be you know nothing but Mm -hmm. look what happened right so no that's that you know i'm right there with you so good choice and i would have been happy (laughs) (laughs) what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about publishing for the first time? Uh, First, I'd like to congratulate them. And then (laughs) the advice I would be is take a look at the two types of publishing, take a look at traditional, take a look at self-publishing, and weigh the pros and cons of both to decide which would work best 
for for you because each of us have different needs, different goals, different challenges. And basically that would be the advice I'd give. Are you self-published? Yes, I am. Okay. We'll get into I'm that. I'm too stubborn for a publisher. You know what? I'm sensing that. And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. We're going to move into part two, which I call shameless plugging. Ooh, I like that. All right. Most, most of the people I've interviewed like this part. So the first question would, would be, uh, what works do you currently have in publication? So this is where you get to plug your most recent and anything else you've got, of course. Okay, you can find my novel, A Woman's Deception, on Amazon. It's a psychological thriller set in two different time periods. And Randy, you'll get a kick out of this. The main character, Frankie, who's a woman, is a professional goalie for an NHL team. (laughs) And I did that on purpose because, as you know, there are no women in hockey. And I thought, why not? So she is a professional goalie. The other main character is her great-grandmother, Florence, who in 1930, at the age of 15, became a pilot, which was unheard of in the 1930s. And Frankie inherited a journal from her great-grandmother. And she must read the journal, solve a murder, which happened in 1954, and clear the family's name. But... Of course, there's someone out there who doesn't want that to happen. So that that's my uh, book that I've just published uh, about a year ago. And I have a second one coming out very shortly. And I'm very fortunate that our son Wyatt and grandson Josh in Germany uh, are doing all the work of the formatting, putting everything together for me. And they, they are just phenomenal. Wonderful. And is this a sequel or... It's it's an introduction. There will be a sequel of four books, four novels, psychological thrillers, and they will star private investigators named Nathaniel and Rooster. And of course, you've gotten to know me well enough. You can guess that Rooster's not a man. Yep. Rooster's a woman. Yes, there was a CBC did a I, I'm a big um, Murdoch Mysteries fan. Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a spinoff of Murdoch Mystery. I think it was called, I, I don't even remember, but it was like Frankie was her name. Oh, something like that. But I don't think I saw it. It's on CBC Gem, but that's where I first found it. It was on CBC Gem and it was like Frankie and she's a, a female private detective who made appearances in Murdoch Mystery. So, uh, and of course, we know Murdoch is uh, what, turn of the century, 19... 19- 1900s early 1900s so and in uh, toronto too yeah well you know i can overlook some things it was still a good city (laughs) then this was before they thought they were the center of the world (laughs) don't send me hate mail i'm joking (laughs) just the center of ontario do you presently have anything you're well you just answered that but do you have anything else that you're working on besides your your follow-up and uh how close is it to completion or or, uh, commencing well the as we had mentioned reflection of deception which is the follow-up novel it is now in germany uh proofreading it i have to share something i did the front covers i do the front covers myself i do all my own photography and and do all the fun stuff with it i sent it off to her son he comes back i spelled psychological wrong on the front cover (laughs) 
did you tell him that was part of the whole deal? <laughs> no, but he was so sweet. And he says, mom, my spell check keeps saying this isn't right. And I'm thinking, I looked at that at least 30 or 40 times. And yet I never saw the spelling error. So that it just makes you laugh. But in Reflection of Deception, this is when Nathaniel and Rooster now have to resolve some very heavy duty issues. And it turns out they become the killer's target. And of course, it's all situated in Toronto, Oshawa, Belleville, all around Southern Ontario, with some cameos from other cities. Right. Where can people connect with you? Things like, you know, email, website, snail mail, blog, meta, formerly Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I could go on. Basically, um, I have a special email site that if anybody after the read the book would like to comment, I'd be more than happy to hear from them. Uh, It's called writer Diane Louise Shore 2022 at gmail.com. I do have a blog and I am on Facebook. I'm not as techie as most people because I'm not I'm a lot older than most people. So sometimes it's really, really hard. But Randy, if I could share with you, I got a text recently from a woman who had purchased the book on Amazon. She said that she just finished a grueling 10-hour shift. She was out in her backyard in her hammock. She had my uh, book on her lap and she was enjoying it. messages like that is worth a million dollars to me. It's just so wonderful to hear that people are loving my work. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's, and again, I've, I've had this discussion with many people. It's like when people buy your book on Amazon um, or, or whatever, or wherever, if it's available, leave a review if you can. Yes. Leave a review. I mean, for the authors, it you know, it, the more reviews, the you know, the higher you get in the the, the rankings. Or whatever. I don't care about rankings. I just want to know how it makes people feel. How what I've written and contributed makes people feel. Are you the same way? Oh, definitely, definitely. And actually, it reminded me of a story. I was in a lineup in the grocery store, and the woman in front turned around and she goes, "I know you." <laughs> Uh, okay she says wait a minute I know how I know you you were on the back cover of the book I just got from the library and she had just taken out uh, a woman's just a woman's deception from our public library and was reading it and all of a sudden she realized that was my picture on the back oh isn't that wonderful oh my goodness yes that Mm -hmm. that felt so good I had a similar experience, only I was in a park and we were sitting down to, a friend and I were sitting down to have a, a couple of slices of pizza. And there's this young girl sitting there. And then this young man, I, you know, high school age, uh, comes in and he's swearing up a storm, blah, blah, blah. And I'm doing, hey, buddy, what's wrong, man? Let's, let's talk. And then I told them my name and they went, I know you. I went, how do you know me? I, you know, I live like 45 minutes away. You're a writer. Our school has your book. Oh my goodness. <laughs> exactly. And and so, you know, those experiences are just wonderful. Absolutely. There are things, things we carry around with us for the rest of our lives. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, uh, and I, I say this to everybody who will listen is I don't write for profit, I profit from writing. Exactly. 
Exactly. It, it means the world to me that something I written, I written, there's good English. It means the world to me that something that I've written means something to somebody. And it's not just words on a page that people gloss over and go, okay, done that book. What do you hope anyone listening will take away from this interview? Anyone listening, and especially anyone who thinks they would like to write or keeps telling themselves they need to write or they want to write, carve out time for yourself. Because what I want to say is, if you don't write... The world will never hear your voice. If you don't write, the world will never hear your voice. And I think it's important because I waited until I was 70 years old to start writing. I wish I had started much younger. But there's always today. Start today. And I want to thank you, Randy, so much for allowing me to participate Uh, on this podcast. I really appreciate listening to all the different interviews that you do. They are excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Diane, thank you so much for doing this podcast. It means the world to me that somebody would take time out of their busy life or schedule to spend a little bit of time with me to talk about things that they love to do, such as writing or, you know, the whole writing process or whatever. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you. And I believe that you um, often donate books to your community library. I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that. Oh, were you? (laughs) Did I beat you to it? (laughs) You did. Normally I ask afterwards, but uh, what Diana is talking about is uh, those that I do interview for my podcast after the show is over, I will, I will ask them with no obligation to say yes, but I will ask them if they are interested, would they donate a copy or copies of their book to my local library? And I, I just think it's uh, one, it, it puts their book in a spotlight that's accessible all across the country to anybody. And two, it well, one by one, I'm adding to my library's private book collection. <laughs> so there's a selfish uh, motive behind it because I do sit on the board for our local library. So Perfect. And, and my library manager loves that I do this. Well, I would be honored to okay. add to the collection. And I will give you the details uh, shortly thereafter. Thank you. You have been listening to Between the Lines. In future episodes, I will not only be speaking with Canadian authors and writers, I will also be speaking with those from the other side of the writing industry, editors, agents, and publishers, in the hopes of getting a better understanding of how it all works together. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and content. Send all your comments, suggestions, or any questions you'd like to have a guest answer to me at randy.dtlpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to visit me at www.therandylacy.ca. While there, look for the buy me a coffee button to help support the podcast. Thank you for your time and your ears. Tune in, be inspired, and write on.